0: Mark 2, verse 23, and it came about that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, see here, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and became hungry, he and his companions? how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he gave it also to those who were with him. And he was saying to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Consequently, the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would be merciful to us, that we might be given understanding and wisdom in your scriptures, that you might bless us, that we might walk in these things and give honor and glory to you. We ask that you would use these things to build us up, build your church, that we might glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We've seen over the past few weeks the tension between Jesus and the Pharisees began to to ratchet up, become more palpable. And the issue that they bring to Jesus in this section is one that was near and dear to the Pharisees' heart. In fact, it's uh, said that there was no other issue, no other uh, issue of how to live how to walk or understand their role as god's people as the sabbath and the amount of things that were written the things that were said the things that they did that surrounded their understanding or their application of the sabbath what we see in mark is that he does not really respect chronology if you look at the other gospels you see that mark has placed this little episode this scene in a place that fits for him in the things that he wants to show us and i think again in that Stacking up of the tension of the the confrontations first in silence and then talking to the disciples, and as we saw last week they for the first time they they spoke directly to Jesus but about his disciples. The words that are begin this passage, and it came about that he was passing through the grain fields they are um, The grammarians would tell us that they're topical they don't really tell us a time and mark has taken advantage of that and he's saying well here's something that fits in the growing tension the opposition of the pharisees to jesus and there are two such um to use our brother's term the pericopes here the the last section of mark chapter 2 is a sabbath controversy but the first section of chapter 3 is also a Sabbath controversy where he expounds, I think, even more on what we'll see today. And he brings to light some things in Jesus. And, and so I, I say all that, that I to say as a preface, this is what we're looking at. But I think, again, the theme of Mark as his first Chapter verse 1 tells us he is presenting to us Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's showing us Christ. And we would would ask that question and make that request of our God, show us Christ. What is this of him? And we see the, the confrontation and how he responds again. Perhaps not as we would anticipate. Again, we try to make Jesus do certain things because of a general idea, but what does he actually do? What does he actually, how does he actually respond? We see them passing through a grain field on the Sabbath. That's important. What's not so important, but perhaps interesting, is what time of the year is it? It is a harvest time, or at least something is ripe because they're going to to pluck the grains, the heads of grain wouldn't be there if it wasn't at least close to harvest time. Um, I don't know how the historians or the theologians come up with these things, but there were two harvests. The barley harvest was the early harvest, and it was actually about this time of year, in April, They were they would harvest the barley. And again, the language in the other uh, gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, tend to help us believe that it is that first harvest as opposed to the wheat harvest that came later. This harvest would have been near the Passover season, perhaps very close to the time of the Passover for the Jews. And they were passing through the, um, the, the grain fields on the Sabbath, and the disciples made their way along while picking the heads of grain. And then we see that they're, and somehow in, in Mark's uh, relating to us, the, the Pharisees kind of appear on the scene, perhaps following them or watching them. And, and again, we've seen that through the book of Mark, that they're starting to take more notice of what Jesus does, looking for things. But what was their true agenda? We asked the question last week in the passage that we read in 18 through 22, What was their agenda there? It seemed that they wanted to produce some kind of quarrel among the disciples of John and the disciples of Jesus, somehow confronting them with this question, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? They approach Jesus directly for the first time, but not about himself, but about his disciples. Why do your disciples not fast when the disciples of John do? But here they go directly to Jesus, and it seems, I think at first blush, that they're again confronting Jesus about his disciples. See here, they say, why are they, the, your disciples, doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But I believe the hint for us that they are speaking to Jesus and about the disciples, but indirectly and obliquely, they are speaking about him. They are trying to discredit him. The little phrase in the New American Standard translated here, see here, is actually an exclamation. And it's kind of this double edge exclamation, as I can understand it, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath is an exclamation of horrified amazement. How can your disciples, how can these men be doing this unlawful thing? Everyone knows that they are breaking the Sabbath doing what they're doing. But at the same time, the other fork that they're poking at jesus i believe is an absolute glee that they have found something that they can hang on jesus something that he has in fact handed them the pharisees as a clear case against himself why do you i think is the reading between the lines why do you jesus Allow this unlawfulness. Why do you allow your disciples to break the Sabbath? But what was the thinking? What what was the reasoning behind this charge of breaking the Sabbath? Well, Mark's language is a little bit unclear in verse 23. And... I'll just mention it because I don't think it throws us a curve at all. But some have made a big deal of the fact that it says his disciples began making their way along while picking the heads of grain. And there is a case to be made, I think, with the Greek that it could be that they're actually making the way. They're going across the field and trampling down the stalks of grain or pulling them up to make a path for Jesus to go through. Some say that they were trampling down the stalks in order to step on the thing and grab the head of grain and pluck the grain as they went. But in either case, stamping down, trampling the grain fields. But I think the the language just, and the pericope that we see here is that they were probably just going along a path that was made in the field where they were passing grain stalks on either side as they were going from one place to the next. And as they walk along, they reach up and pluck some heads of grain. Now, is this the charge? Is this the problem they were stealing? And the answer would be no. In Deuteronomy 23, We see that the Lord allowed them to pluck grain from other people's fields as they follow, as they, you know, they're walking along. You can pluck and eat some of your neighbor's grain until it becomes a sin uh, unless you, or when you put a sickle or a scythe in there and start knocking down the grain. And again, I think somebody, some people take that and try to put those together and say, well, they were making a path and, they were doing what was unlawful but what about it so what well the sabbath as i said was a very important day for the jews it still is the seventh day of the week in which god rested from his activities of creation and i believe in the beginning uh, at least according to things i can read about jewish tradition that it was, and maybe for some Jews still is, a commemoration by the Jews through rest and through cessation of work honoring the fourth commandment. You shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. A few years ago, I was visiting my brother in Maryland, and on a Saturday morning, we got up and we put our gear in the truck and we were headed out to the beach for recreation and all of these things, and as we drove out of his neighborhood from the cul-de-sacs along the main road out to the main boulevard, there were scores of people, all dressed uh, nicely, uh, The men, all the men with, with hats on and moving together. And at first, I had never seen that before. And he said, oh, those are the Jews. They are on their way to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And they were happy, they were joyful, they were going along the sidewalks, and we've got to the main road, there's the synagogue. Not a single car in the parking lot, because it was the Sabbath. They did not believe that they should be driving their cars on the Sabbath, so they walked. The Sabbath, and given the number of people that I saw on the sidewalks and crossing the streets, the the synagogue would have been full, the parking lot would have been empty. But here the Jews have taken the Sabbath seriously. They have taken, for example, Exodus 24, no agricultural work to be done on the Sabbath. Or Amos chapter eight, a prohibition of doing your trade, doing your job on the Sabbath. Or as I can understand it in Isaiah 58, you're forbidden to discuss business, discuss transactions on the Sabbath. But what was the underlying purpose? Well, I believe that it was for rest, absolute rest from all labor, and to, as we see in both Isaiah 58 and Hosea, to make the Sabbath a delight, to make it a day of of joy. But rabbinic law could not rest there. Through analogy and extension, rabbinic law eventually compiled a list of 39 categories of activities that you could not do on the Sabbath day. And then they, I said categories, and underneath those categories, they by extension and amplification and by descriptions of work Some believe, taken from Exodus chapter 35, where it describes the work of building the temple, all the little things that went into making the temple are described as work. And taking that list and extending it, they came up with 39 categories and subcategories underneath those. Now to be fair, rabbinic law did promote positive celebration on the Sabbath that they would wear special clothes, that they would have the best meal they could possibly afford to put together, that they would enjoy eating and drinking. And it is said they even had a special speech that was used on the Sabbath. I don't know what that language might have been or how they changed their language to, to do that, but they would enjoy the Sabbath. And they did have a respect or danger to life or the saving of a life which superseded the Sabbath and its prohibitions. But we do have to ask the question here in this passage, what was the offense? What was the charge that they brought against Jesus and his disciples? Well, they were charged with picking uh, the grain Because to them, picking the grain on the Sabbath and perhaps taking it in their hands and husking it as they went along was doing work. Because they picked it and husked it, there could be several violations. And I could go through these, but I plucked, if I could use that word, a passage out of Edersheim to explain from the Talmud just where this leads, the 39 categories, if you would permit. In case a woman rolls wheat from husk, it is considered as sifting. If she rubs the heads of wheat it is regarded as threshing. If she cleans off the side adherences, it is sifting out fruit. If she bruises the ears, it is grinding. If she throws them up in her hand, it is winnowing. See, all the subcategories of doing work by plucking grain. Some of the interpretations like this led to one book of the Talmud listing 1,521 forbidden activities on the Sabbath. But what is the real issue? The outward observance took precedence for these Pharisees over the reason for the observance. The outward things became the thing, not the object of the observance, not the reason behind it, but the outward observance. And and what did they try to do? What was the reasoning behind these things? They wanted to make it so that it was unbreakable, that the Sabbath could not be broken. By adhering to all of these things, they trampled uh, under feet the reason, the joy, the worship that it lies behind the Sabbath. Now Jesus gives arguments here against them. He answers them immediately in their charge. I have five. They don't come all from Mark. I have assistance from Matthew chapter 12 and Luke chapter 6. But I'm going to try to uh, read these as succinctly as I can. The first one is in all three Gospels. Jesus says, have you never read what David did when he was in need and became hungry? In 1 Samuel 21, David is fleeing from Solomon, Saul, and he is, he's hungry, he's with his men, they've been living in the wilderness, and no ordinary food was available. And what he ate was the showbread, the bread that would have been taken in the tabernacle and placed before the Lord, 12 loaves were, were prescribed to be uh, baked, baked. Uh, uh, Unleavened bread, it's sometimes called the bread of the presence. A symbol of the covenant between God and, and his people, Israel. And the show bread was put out on the Sabbath day. And it was left there for the time that it was appointed. And then that bread was taken away and the priests could eat it. But only the priests could eat it. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, have you you never read this story? Have you never read what David did, that he actually ate that bread, not from the presence of the Lord, but as it has come back to the kitchen, he and his men ate of that bread, the bread that was to be eaten by the priests alone. Your trouble is that you're reading man-made bread. Laws that you have put the rabbinic law ahead of biblical law, ahead of divine knowledge. David's necessity excused him from violating the Sabbath. David took nothing away from the honor and the reverence and the glory of God in the eating of this bread. In fact, his need and his mission and service of the Lord was his plea for receiving the bread. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus goes on to say, again, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath day, the priests in the temple took bread, they baked it and they made it, and yet they are innocent? By certain activities, the priests broke the Sabbath law. If they were to take the rabbinic law, what they did, the baking of the bread the slaying of the animals to be sacrificed even again as happened if your male child needed to be circumcised on the eighth day and it fell on a sabbath day they did that work and jesus is saying to them if it's lawful to do these things if the temple allows the work connected to sacrifices and ceremonial worship Should not the work of godliness, of holiness, of worship in the true temple be allowed? Edersheim writes, the Sabbath law was not merely of rest, but of rest for worship. It was not merely that they would cease doing work at all. And I think we... Sometimes get the idea that that's how people did they were totally idle on the Sabbath day I can remember reading to my children the little house on the prairie series Laura Ingalls Wilder and In the book called farmer boy, which I think is a biography of the the boy and the young man who grew to be her husband later she tells about him on the on the Sunday sitting in a room with his grandfather and his grandfather tries to read the Bible and falls asleep. And the boys are totally bored. They cannot move. They're not allowed to do anything. And it's a total idleness. And to me, my, my thought was, well, where's the joy in that? Where, you know, it may be rest for grandpa, but everybody else is getting a wrong idea of what the Sabbath ought to be. And I I think Jesus is looking and and confronting these men with these things. Have you never read? Have you ever thought about these things? Or in Matthew chapter 12, verse seven, he says, but if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the innocent. It's, It's an indirect proof. Let's assume That you don't know what God has declared about this day. That he's what God has declared about himself. What he's declared to be of a higher worth. Compassion and mercy and loyalty to God and his people. Let's assume that you haven't heard of that. Which of course, immediately we come to a contradiction. They have heard of that because these are the men who devoted their lives to studying the scriptures and expounding them. Have you never read Hosea 6? For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You destroy the truth. You distort it. The true heart, the true power, the true purpose of the law in order to condemn innocent ones. These external rights that you hold so dear must be directed to proper objects. Perfection and righteousness belongs to the worship of God. And so he says to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It's fascinating to me that the rabbis actually had a similar saying in their writings. The Sabbath is handed over to you, not ye handed over to the Sabbath. It sounds to me exactly the same. Do you not understand? Man was not... Made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for him. You use God's Sabbath, which he appointed for man's benefit and for his delight. And you use it for man's destruction and his condemnation. Not to say of frustration. And even if the Pharisees had pictured what Jesus and his disciples were doing, and there are some theologians who assume that, I'm not sure I can, that they looked at Jesus' work as being holy work, that he was actually a servant of God, that he was a minister of God. I'm not sure at this point in Mark what they actually saw in him. But if they took that as being they were serving God, they were ministering to people and they needed food to continue in that ministry. All they saw was we are offended that you have broken one of the laws that the rabbis wrote. But the day of rest is a privilege and it is not supposed to be a burden. It is meant for man's highest good. And so I think the, the final argument, and I do have a little struggle with the, how it's written in here, we do know that not, there was not uh, punctuation marks in the Greek. There are some who believe that verse 28 in Mark chapter 2 is an emendation, I think is what it's called, where a Christian, it's a Christian addition to the scriptures. I, I don't know about that. We do know from Chuck's teaching in John, the verse that many people take as that old, you know, gospel in a nutshell, Mark 3, uh, John 3.16, uh, probably was a statement not from Jesus' mouth, but from John's pen, that John wrote that of him, and I think maybe Mark wrote this. Consequently, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, if Mark did write it, he is one of the few who write of Jesus as the Son of Man. So that makes me think that, well, maybe Jesus spoke this of himself. The consequence is not to be missed. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the God-man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's established in his arguments that the service of God, the service of the temple, superseded the Sabbath law. But Jesus is greater than the temple. Jesus and his service to God is the service of God. The Son of Man has charge of man's higher interest. He understands humanity's needs. He took on himself flesh and blood, that he would see these things. He would be able to be of sympathy with our, in our weaknesses. The Sabbath was meant to prepare Israel for her coming Messiah, prepare her for that day, the presence of the Lord, and living in the presence and understanding humanity's needs. And here Jesus was to fulfill that goal, to help us understand who God was, to serve us. He came to serve and not to be served. And because he is Lord, even of this institution of the Sabbath, he was to fill all that the Sabbath meant. There are those who believe that Jesus broke the Sabbath, in the activities that he, we see here in Mark chapter 2, I do not believe that is the case. The scripture, it would be an argument for silence if you tried to prove that. But we know from books, particularly Galatians, that Jesus came to fulfill all the law, that he obeyed the law, that he kept the Sabbath, that he obeyed the fourth commandment. But what does this mean for believers? Well, this is where it gets very difficult for me because there are times when I have felt that I have sinned on the Sabbath, that I have done things that I ought not to have done. And there are times when I have felt uh, perhaps the weaker brother of Romans chapter 14 and have felt like I've been thrown under the bus by another's view of the Sabbath or of the Lord's day. And I'm not uh, prepared to discuss all that. I think that's another sermon in itself. But I think to call Sunday the Christian Sabbath is at least a bit misleading. There is a universality. I I believe what Edersheim is saying, that it is a rest for worship and a worship which points to rest. I think that is the focus of the Sabbath. The, The word itself means to cease. And, and yet it doesn't mean to cease all activity and, as I said, to become idle. But I think there is a rest, a ceasing of the ordinary things of life that would cause us to rest. Why? To worship. That we would give ourselves in that day to the worship of our God. And that worship, in turn, points us to the rest that we will have with our Lord the rest that is truly peaceful, that is truly satisfying. We have seen Jesus in Matthew, quote, if you had understood what this meant, I desire compassion or mercy and not a sacrifice. We would understand that it is not the outward performance. It is the inner heart. It is the coming for the purpose to cease from ordinary labor in order that we might focus on worship. No, it does not mean that we are free to do as we please, but free to do those things which are needful and are helpful in the service and worship of our Lord. So we began to see, I think, as Jesus meets the confrontation of the Pharisees, of the scribes, of those who would seek to discredit him He showed us before that he is the bridegroom. It is his presence, which is our joy and delight. And here we see it is his service and the worship of him, which should become to us a greater joy and delight. For he alone, the Son of Man, is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, these things can become difficult for us to sort out. And they require attention. They require mental and physical effort to study, to read, to pray, to seek help. And we ask that you would allow us to do these things, that you would cause us to meditate upon these things, that we might see Jesus, that we might not carry around vague notions of him but we might see him as he has presented himself to us in the scriptures. And Father, we ask that we would come to worship him and adore him and lift him up as our only Lord and Savior. We ask that you would do this for your church in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you please rise for the benediction from the book of Isaiah chapter 58. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure, and speaking your own word, then you will delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen.